You are listening to Four at the Back with Dan and Ken. We have returned. It's Four at the Back with Dan and Ken, episode 15. The other voice you will hear is that of Dan Loney, whose LA Galaxy haven't lost in the league since June 20th. I'm Ken Tomash, whose thermometer has hit 100 degrees every day since June 20th. You could look it up. Did you miss me, Dan? A Tomash, right? That's it me. Sound, yeah, it rings a bell. On this episode, we'll look back at the USA-Mexico World Cup qualifier at Azteca Stadium. We'll talk about 10 years of Don Garber in Major League Soccer. We'll revisit the summer of soccer. Summer's not quite over, but the series of big games almost is. And we'll talk about the future of this show. That's all ahead on Episode 15 of Four at the Back. Topic 1. Well, to the surprise of few, but to the dismay of just Dan Loney, because it was his 40th birthday, the U.S. fell once again at Azteca, losing to Mexico 2-1 on Wednesday in a World Cup qualifier. I am not one of those people who thinks that the sky is falling. Dan, what do you think? Uh, it got a little lower. I was fine with it until I got a look at the standings. And I think what really damaged the United States was Honduras putting the wood to Costa Rica, because now not only are Mexico breathing down our necks just a point behind us, but we're tied with Honduras, and we have a fairly tough schedule going forward, especially compared to Honduras and Mexico. I think life has gotten much more difficult, and it certainly didn't help that we lost in just disappointing and... I almost want to say ugly and ungallant fashion. We we did the very typical get the goal early and bunker and hope, and it was very, very frustrating to see it unfold the way it did, at least for a U.S. fan. Right. Well, let's look at some positives first off, and I mentioned these in my blog. First off, the U.S. scored at Azteca, which very rarely happens. It was I don't remember the last well, time. Well, it, it was happened. only four years ago. Eddie Lewis did it in 05, but before then you have to go back to either 84 or 80, depending on who you talk to. It was either Ricky Davis in 1980 or Perry Vanderbeck in 1984. There seems to be some dispute about whether where those games were held, but no, no mind. It was a well-taken goal, a very nice pass. Uh, by Landon and Donovan, and a very good start to the game. Yeah. So, oh, yes, yes it, was. it was. We thought it'd all be different. Had, had never taken the lead at Azteca. That was a positive. And with under 10 minutes left, the U.S., despite really doing not much after that 10, 15-minute mark, was tied with Mexico at Azteca with 10 minutes left. That's that's huge. Uh, Davies, I thought, made some good runs. He was very active. That was a nice finish that in years past a lot of Americans would have just totally duffed or tanked and the other small positive was that i thought Stuart holden who i like and you're kind of on the fence about did show some poise and some skill i really loved his cross that davies almost headed in it was a short stint but i I like the way he played as well if that it can i am i never said i was never going to forgive them but don't get me started on hawaii 5-0 brian ching i ah yeah, but you're right about Holden. That it was a positive, but again, we are searching for 
breadcrumbs in the forest right. and the witch is getting hungry. Right, because there was there was enough not so good to go around and, and, and you touched on it. They so, didn't play well enough to win. This is a weak Mexico team and they made the plays. They won the game. The U.S. did not play well enough to win this game. That is disappointing. And it, we fell apart in ways where we thought we were strong. Right, defensively. Uh, defensively and also controlling the ball, making the pass. Some of this is the altitude and home field advantage. But again, that's always going to be there. It's hard, at least only a day after, it's hard to look at this and think something besides this was our chance. Uh, we had a good, good team, if not a great one. They had a young and unsteady team if they weren't the disaster they were four months ago. This was a fantastic opportunity, and I think that frustration is going to hang around for a while, certainly whenever anybody brings up Mexico, because our next chance is in four years. Barring uh, somehow a rematch uh, in South Africa should both teams advance. Let's talk about Landon Donovan for a second. You mentioned he was in great form. He was going to be key. He had a great start to the match and then disappeared, and now, just today, we find out that he was playing with swine flu that he picked up in the United States not in Mexico, but he did play that entire game under the influence of swine flu, and that may have had an effect on him getting beat on the winning goal. That's uh, you are ahead of me. I hate to just—I had not heard yeah. that. Is this a is this a bizarre? Joke? No, it's seriously. And Grant, Grant Wall had it tonight on his blog. So I oh, you know, I should read that. Not, so not only did he have what could have been just the biggest racist joke illness, but he got it in the United States. <laughs> Go figure. Irony, thy name is Landon. Oh, it's, I've, I don't have to tell you what I, what I think of Landon now and what he's accomplished this year, certainly since the Confederation Cup. Um, that assist was just a thing of beauty. Only upstaged by the goals in that game are beautiful. I think we should point that right. out. However ugly the game was, the highlights were beautiful. Uh, and just, I had thought that it was simply nobody in the midfield helping out. Landed Clint Dempsey to some, what did Clint, what did Clint Dempsey have? Small, landed at swine flu. What did Dempsey have? Did he have Rube, scarlet fever, rubella? We, I mean, what, what did Ricardo Clark have? Full blown. Yeah, well, somebody, yeah, somebody uh, needs to call the Centers for Disease Control and have the whole team tested, pretty much. Except for good. I think I'm still blown away by this. This is an exciting radio show for me. I well, it'll be a cold day before anybody practices in Miami. Yeah, yet. breaking news. Here's two two other things that I want to touch on before we stop looking back at this game and look ahead to the rest of the hex. One is uh, Jamie Trecker's assertion today that. Uh, that, that games like this, well, he makes, he makes two points. Wait, wait, wait. This one I did. Read. He makes, he makes two points, one of which I agree with. One of which is that the, U, the U.S. men's national team teases us and doesn't follow through. And that is true. You can go back to 94 yes. when we made the second round and 2002, uh, or even a, taking a good team to France and disappointing us. So that's true. But then he follows up and says it is a fact that if unchecked, this is going to kill the game in this country. I will tell you this. You are not going to kill the game in this country. I, I, I Facebooked this. He was typing angry in his typical angry rant mode. This game has had so many chances to get killed in this country. The game is not going to get killed. This stuff is disappointing. Yeah, but he's just got an axe to grind against Bob, and he wants Bob out. And when it doesn't happen, he rants and raves. So that, I think, that column today was ludicrous. It's, it's unlike James. 
me to be negative, so maybe I'm sorry I couldn't say that with a straight face. If uh, if we're talking about Jamie, you're right. I think he is still upset that his big scoop about Klinsman being hired blew up in his face however many years ago. If we're talking about the national team, it depends on how much calamity howling you want to do. You don't want to miss opportunities. You don't want to take steps back. And the history of the game in this country has been such a roller coaster of ups and downs dating literally back to 1920. So it's very easy to fall back into calamity howling. What if the recession claims one of the MLS owners? What if Soccer United Marketing is photographed in a hotel room with Michael Vick's dogfighting crew? Uh, it's... It's something that every soccer fan in America grows up worrying about because of the NASL and because of years of being accused of being anti-American. And this is where someone like Jamie Trecker has the raw gaping wound every time some little thing goes. And losing in Azteca is as little by itself. It's as little as it comes, even blowing a lead uh, to the rival. It's almost par for the course, especially uh, with Mexico. This was so, th- so I understand where Jamie was coming from because he's a crazy soccer fan from the United States, just like the rest of us. He's just, he's, he's, it's Jamie being Jamie. I can't stay mad at him. And I would say this, you can, I don't think you will, but you can kill the league in this country, but you're not going to kill the game in this country. Well, that uh, see, this is, and I've been reading other things about where the soul of the, I'll say, where was it? It was uh, from a leftwing.com, Nick Green linked to it, and the take was, in one sentence, it's not MLS that's the soul of the game, it's the people who cheer for Barcelona and who show up to games and who play the game, and I couldn't disagree more because MLS is helping the national team. It doesn't look like it now, but a lot of our European players cut their teeth there. If you compare where the team is now to where it was in, even in 1994 and 1995, if you take the first division league away and go back to the USL, you bring the national team program to a halt. We don't get to see Americans in the World Cup, certainly not with any kind of chance. It, it hurts. It doesn't kill the game, but... Nietzsche was wrong. That which does not kill you could leave you in a wheelchair breathing through your neck. Can't put it any better than that. And one last thing about the actual game. Late in the game, Donovan's taking a corner kick. Some debris starts raining down on him. And by the time this story gets around the globe, they're going to have thrown nuclear weapons at him. Yeah, Lee Lee Harvey was in the upper deck. It's... uh, I'm disappointed because... And I shouldn't say this out loud, but... One of the fan groups I belong with, whose uh, name rhymes with uh, Buy It Squad, they were throwing things at Barcelona fans for the crime of cheering for Barcelona. I remember in Columbus, some of our fans were throwing things at time-wasting Mexico players. The hilarious thing to me right now is the poor sap who threw the beer at the Philly center fielder, he is going to go to full-on jail. <laughs> and meanwhile, every soccer fan in the country, if they're not pointing fingers at Mexico fans saying that they should be in, the, in some sort of island somewhere, 
they are looking at their shoes and coughing embarrassingly because this is something sports fans do, and the hand-wringing about it is just, it doesn't help American soccer. I think... I think that's as damaging as the actual loss. Having us overreact to, yeah, it's bad, but it's, considering it's stuff we do, what are we, what are we gonna do? Not play in Columbus anymore? How far do we want to take this? And then last thing, four games left in the hex, two of them at home, starting with El Salvador and Utah, and then they go to Trinidad and Tobago. Realistically, get four points from those two games, and you've got breathing room. No. I think uh, so. I think 14 can get you in. Oh, oh boy. 14's you got have, three of the last the last three hexes, two of the last three, 14 points has gotten you in. Now, you, you, you don't want to go into that last. You didn't, you didn't have four strong teams. You have, and you didn't have a couple of pushovers. You would need a lot of help, and you would need a couple of uh, wins that should be ties. I mean, you run a number of scenarios, and you have four teams on anywhere from 16 uh, or from 14 to 16 teams going into the last day, the top four teams, one of those has to do the home-and-home home with, uh, yeah, technically they've clinched, but fourth place is a, is a booby prize. It really is. Uh, the U.S. needs to get three points in Trinidad to be comfortable. I think they're, I think they sweep at home. I've said that for a while, but whether we want to do it comfortably or not, it would help to get that elusive road win against the worst team in the house. Which who we rarely lose to. But you don't want to go into that game at RFK uh, needing, needing, yeah, well, you don't want to go into that last game against Costa Rica needing three points against Costa Rica. But like I said, like I, I said this to Bodura today, it's World Cup qualifying. It's supposed to be hard. <laughs> yes, you don't want. <laughs> Well, otherwise we'd have been in before 1990 and it just would have been hilarious. But just because it's hard doesn't mean that we don't want to be there. I'd rather our bad team go than our good team misses out. I mean, 1998 was a better World Cup for the U.S. than uh, 1998, better than 86, any day of the week. Can't argue with that. Topic two. Earlier this month, Major League Soccer Commissioner Don Garber celebrated 10 years in office. Dan, does it seem like 10 years since he took over for Doug Logan, or have we just tried to wipe Doug Logan from our memory banks? Who the hell is Doug? It's, uh, we still have a league. Uh, it seems like a very, very different world than when he took over. It's, it's just alarming, uh, even though it may have just gone by one little day at a time. When you actually look, it is just jarring. Well, let's look. We had a league in 1999 when he took over that had been, that was in its, in its fourth season, midway through its fourth season. Logan had made some serious PR mistakes. I mean, he was writing letters to Soccer America, calling out journalists and basically, and making promises that he couldn't keep in terms of Seattle and just basically being a strange commissioner. Uh, Garber comes in, a guy who had zero soccer experience. They got him from the NFL and the big knock on him early on and, and some, for some people to this day is that he's not a soccer guy, but I've spoken with him several times and one thing you can say is that over 10 years, if you don't, if you're not a soccer guy within 10 years, then he'd have to be dumb, and he's not a dumb guy. No, no. Well, frankly, we're lucky he still is a soccer guy. I realized the official MLSnet article on his 10th year anniversary was straight from Pravda, but the record speaks for itself. Compare what he's done with 
the with the NHL, with arena football, with uh, the XFL isn't fair, but he's running an American soccer league that is expanding during a horrible economy. What more do you want out of the guy? Now, as far as as far as actually doling out credit, a lot of this, as always, is going to go to the money guy. It's going to go to Phil Anschutz still believing in it, and and that's fine. But the the thing is, Garber is the public face, and he's he's gone out in front of a lot of potentially embarrassing things, uh, various expansions, San Antonio, Cleveland, uh, putting the deadline for the David Beckham transfer uh, last February, and he's come off making the league's public image a lot more respected, certainly than what he found. I don't know how you argue with his success. I'd certainly rather have him than a lot of guys, and I'm surprised someone hasn't hired him away, like the NHL. And let's give credit to where credit is due. I think through much of the early stages of his tenure, and even until recently, I think a guy who really helped him out, who probably didn't get a lot of credit for it, but uh, is Ivan Gazidis. And when he left to go to Arsenal, I was a little bit concerned. Uh, but I think having had you know eight or nine years in the job by that point, um, you know, and still a, a, a coterie of good people around him, uh, Garber has been able to continue to to do to do well in, as you mentioned, a trying time. Uh, but I think Gazidis. Gazidis doesn't get enough credit, and I always thought that he would be the next commissioner. That's a good point, but I don't think it's a zero-sum game as far as credit. I think Gazidis is perfectly capable of being the league's commissioner, but we forget that Garber had experience selling uh, the World League to an unwilling audience in Spain, so he was immersed in this sort of... uh, the stranger in a strange land thing, and I think certainly even by 99 when he took over. Soccer is still the strange game in the strange land and I think he's adjusted to that very well. I think that enough of the credit I don't I don't think say who gets the credit. I think that's a misleading question. I think we had much better people running the game than and I feel like apologizing to Sunil, but uh, the better than the startup in ninety six, which kind of says how much of an audience there is because this league survived to get to 99 despite itself. I think Garber has helped out a little bit. He still made mistakes, but there's maybe there's always going to be a Division One league now. But it was Garber that helped get us to that point. There was a time two and a half years into his tenure as well in uh, the early parts of 2002 where this league was very close to being in serious trouble when they had to shutter Tampa Bay and Miami. And before the creation of Soccer United Marketing and before the big World Cup deal and everything kind of happened in that summer of 02 to kind of break the log jam, uh, there was a very real possibility that this league could go the way of the NASL. And I think he deserves credit for shepherding that through. Obviously, it was the guys deciding to continue to write the checks for it, but I think he's been a good leader and a strong leader. I think so. This is dangerously close to saying Park Ji Sung made Bruce Arena what he's was, because, again, yes, if Phil Anschutz decides, you know what, I'm sick of losing money, and I don't want to build this stadium after all, then Don Garber's a horrible commissioner, and that's, but that's the nature of the beast. I mean, he's still... Well, I'd certainly trust him more than than Bud Selig. For I mean, it, again, that's it's cheap shotting people who've been very bad for their sports and other. But again, that's it's the same environment. And Garber started much farther back. 
I'm not saying that MLS is anywhere near what it calls itself, Major League, but if, uh, if you're going to give credit to the people, if MLS is still around 10, 20 years from now, and it looks like it will be, you have, among the many people you give credit to, is, of course, Don Garber. And how long do you think he sticks around? Ten years, uh, it doesn't seem like a long time in the grand scheme of things, but for a commissioner, that's kind of a long time. I mean, he's not going to be Pete Rozelle, who is, a, is probably a better example. I, I wouldn't expect yeah. to see him in this job for 30 years, uh, but at some point, maybe there's another guy out there who takes the league to another level after he's carried the water as far as he can carry it. And the question is who? There are a number of people who have cut their teeth on the general manager level who might be ready to guide this particular battleship. But again, Alexi Lalas? The hat? Yeah. <laughs> well, you read my mind. It's, but again, the problem is, I don't know if, boy, this is heresy. I don't know if you want a soccer guy. I think you still want to stay with the sports marketing guys who happen to know some soccer or maybe don't know soccer. Garber was an NFL guy. I'm surprised he hasn't been approached to come back to the fold. Uh, and as far as down the road, however far that road is when you do replace him, I don't think you'd need to. You had mentioned Gazidis. He would be a perfectly wonderful choice. There may be guys abroad, except, oh boy, I don't know about that because you want to deal with the American media, and the American media is just strange. I don't know if you want to go stay in this. I would rather stay in the country than stay in the sport. And I realize that's blasphemy, and I'll apologize for it <laughs> to all the people I've summarily ruled out of ever being MLS commissioner. But the next one needs to be very much like this. Well, I think you're right, and here's why. Because sport is so much a business now, and this particular sport is so dependent on smart business decisions that I am not 100% sure that someone who doesn't have, you know, the sports business background, you may find someone who is a soccer guy with a good sports business background, like a Gazidis or somebody else, just for one name out there, but to fall on one side or the other, I think all sports going forward now, especially niche sports like ours, are going to need somebody who can make smart business decisions and not trip all over themselves, uh, showing complete ignorance of the game of soccer. You would need you would need an exceptional person who grew up in sports as an athlete or something like that to be the commissioner. It's going to be much more. It's it's show business now. It's going to be like running a studio. I don't know. If we had a weekly show, we could maybe get into that, and maybe yeah, we'll do that down the road. But Dan and I'll be back after this quick interval. This is fourth back. Would it be crazy if you packed your bags and left for a week, a month, a year? What if you left for two years? What if you were going far away to help in a village on the edge of the Gobi Desert? To spend time with people the rest of the world only reads about? To teach children and learn a thing or two about yourself? Would that be crazy? Peace Corps. Life is calling. How far will you go? To find out more, call 1-800-424-8580 or visit PeaceCorps.gov. You are listening to Four at the Back with Dan and Ken. And thank you for listening. We do appreciate it. If you've been a regular listener, stay tuned. Coming up, we'll talk about the future of the show. Topic 3. Real Madrid's 3-0 win over D.C. United on Sunday brought an unofficial end to the unofficial Summer of Soccer, so named by MLS and Soccer United Marketing. 72,000 people saw that one. 61,000 the night before saw Chivas of Guadalajara against Barcelona in San Francisco. 93,000 saw Barca against the Galaxy. 82,000 saw a Gold Cup match in Dallas. 
My take on this is that it shows, perhaps once and for all, to anyone who doubted that, that there are a ton of fans of the sport of soccer in this country, Dan. My fear, though, is that soccer at the level many of those people have been paying to see this summer is, is much, much higher than that of our domestic league. So I don't know if it's an overall positive or if MLS suffers by comparison, no matter how much they try to spin, how great it is for the game to have these summer friendlies in the Gold Cup. What do you say? I agree. I wish I could be contrary and say this is... SUM and the MLS milking the sheep and shearing the cows, getting the Euro snobs in to see MLS teams that would never have gone to spend money on them. And notice how they're only getting one of these great teams at a time. I guess the exception would be Barcelona Chivas and Chelsea Inter a couple weeks ago. But you're paying half the fees when you trot them out against Toronto, Rail Salt Lake, the Galaxy DC United. And they're making just as much money, sometimes more, because it's, it's a brilliant financial maneuver. But, again, who are we winning over? Are we just exploiting these people? And are, are they reachable? If they're not reachable, then it's brilliant. If they're theoretically reachable, then, frankly, this has been good. The Galaxy have done perfectly well. Uh, the games have been on FSC. MLS didn't slam their genitals in the car door, even with the DC United game. A lot of people realized what was going on there. The reserves are coming in the second half. It's it's more than I would have expected ten years ago. At least they are coming out spending money, watching it on Fox Soccer Channel, and they, they're not just completely boycotting it. So from the financial point of view, and for all I know, they can do this every year, the Rose Bowl had 80,000-plus crowds within a week. There's a market for non-MLS soccer that is being sponsored by SUM, so that's a, that's a double, that's a double-edged sword. Well, you mentioned the Galaxy, and it is odd to me that they actually did the best of, of any of MLS's teams. When Seattle gets thumped by Chelsea and by Barca, and when Real Madrid has their way with Toronto, and like you said today against DC United, for the first half, that was a fairly, fairly even match before Real just said, okay, enough of this. Do you think MLS really suffers? I mean, I know they wake out financially, but there's got to be more to it than this, that, you know, just getting whacked, as Toronto did the other night, it can't be good for you. But what was supposed to happen? It's Toronto. It's Seattle. The Galaxy were cheating by playing, playing hard throughout the whole game against these, uh, these teams way out of their league. They're putting Alan Gordon out there and he's trying his hardest. Yes, of course it suffers. I wish I could say otherwise. But just the gap between the money that goes into building these teams just means we're lucky these games weren't played with a Benny Hill laugh track. At least some, at least the teams got on the field with their shorts the right direction. That's what MLS gets out of this. And as far as converting the people who only wanted to see Barcelona, uh, it's boy, it's ambitious of MLS to put those teams out there. But I don't know who has won over. I think I think MLS got their money, but I don't know if they got any sort of. In fact, I know for a fact they're not going to go see the Galaxy play Salt Lake later in the season. No chance. That was my next question. It's the eternal question. How do we get the people who went to see Chelsea and Inter Milan go see Columbus against Chivas USA and so on and so on? And I think it's largely going to take time, that continued investment in infrastructure, and eventually, yes, obviously, players. But even with all that, 
I mean, MLS is still going to be second or third fiddle in the soccer hierarchy in this country, and is that is that good enough? It, I've always said MLS is a niche. It's fine if you exploit the niche. We know they're not doing everything they could possibly do, but are they going to be okay having a domestic league that's eh, second or third fiddle, and we'll watch it when we're so inclined and there's not a big game against Barcelona coming on? I'll tell you what I think. If Soccer United Marketing holds on to the World Cup rights, and MLS is a loss leader for that, and if SUM is still the gateway to high-quality soccer in this country, then yes, MLS is fine. They're probably ahead of schedule. Some of this also depends on the U.S. national team. Again, we remember from the Confed Cup, when the U.S. does well, surprisingly well, there is a wide, not deep, but wide audience that will pay attention. Same with the World Cup. Some of that is going to trickle down to MLS, provided some of the national team players besides Landon Donovan end up sticking around, and even that's questionable. So to answer your question, it's going to be second or third fiddle for this World Cup cycle, certainly. Maybe the next one after that. It's probably going to be good enough, though. The other factor now is with ESPN apparently getting some of the English Premier League rights and showing a couple EPL games a week in addition to all the other high-quality soccer that you can watch as an American. I mean, that is one more example of how much better the rest of the world's leagues are than our league is. Yeah, but we knew that. It's not a surprise, but going forward, you'd like to throw that gap at some point. But the week-in, week-out audience for MLS knows that in their hearts already and have made the decision to watch MLS anyway. Same with the people who will only watch Barcelona or Chelsea. They're, they wouldn't watch MLS even if the United States beats England, Italy, and Spain in the same World Cup. Uh, there's, there's just this amorphous theoretical blob of people who will maybe crane their heads and I hope it isn't the same people who just watch a shiny object like David Beckham. But if it is, the, if that's the audience, then all you need is a shiny object every four years, like Terry Henry, for example, to uh, reference that forever rumor that he'll join. It only takes one big-name player to sort of get the people to crane their necks and look at the accident as they drive by. So... It's going to be second fiddle. I, how do you improve it, though, without putting so much more money into it in the middle of a recession or a depression, depending on how you look at it? There isn't the money to improve MLS, and there isn't the, there isn't the incentive because they're making money on friendlies. So. I agree, and I think we're going to continue to see that. And I guess that has its uh, upsides and its downsides. The, the upsides is that there's a lot of high-quality soccer available for us as Americans, which I'm sure you remember and I remember and a lot of today's new fans don't remember, was not the case 20 years ago where you couldn't oh, see oh, you couldn't see high-quality <laughs> soccer in this country at oh, all. Oh, these kids today, they don't know how good they have it. <laughs> when I was a lad, we had to. Yeah, precisely. Topic four. And finally, you may have noticed that we haven't done a show in a while, just about a month. Here's the deal. It, it is fun to do this, and by do this, I mean go back and forth with Dan and talk to guests and all that stuff, but there's a whole lot more work that goes into this. There's pre-production, post-production, lining people up, a lot of writing, a lot of editing, trying to make sure Dan shows up on time, which is almost a full-time job in itself. It takes hi, a- hi, I'm Dan. <laughs> Welcome to Four at the Back. I, what? It takes a lot of time to do this. It's more than I thought, actually, and time is something that, sadly... Starting in a couple of weeks, I'm going to have a lot less of for a few months. So in the fall, 
You will hear us sporadically, if at all. I don't know how frequently we'll do shows or even if we'll do shows at all. I know we would like to, we want to, but I can't tell you when the next one will be. I hope that we can do some, but no guarantees. And, Dan, you're a new dad, so you can understand time commitments, I'm sure. Oh, if you've enjoyed the baby crying in the background for some of these interviews, yeah, you you can sort of see where I'm coming from. Hope Shep Messing forgives me. Sure he will. Here's the other thing. We have a small audience, and that's fine. I, I envisioned a different show when we started to do this. It would be a show that would probably be the only one to talk to Zach Walker about Sabudio and not the tenth one to talk to Grant Wall about the Beckham experiment. <laughs> that, by its very definition, gives you a small audience. I had hoped it would at least be a loyal audience, but to be honest, I haven't heard from a lot of people over the last month who say they missed the show, so I don't think we're depriving anybody of anything. I am very, very, very appreciative of those of you who follow the show, who have taken the time to let us know you like the show. Fabulous. Don't ever think that we are not appreciative of that. But the time and the resources that we have to expend to reach the size audience, to make it bigger and all that, the amount of time that it would take to substantially expand that audience are things that we just don't have right now. Anyway, so the immediate future is you're not going to hear us for a while or you'll hear us sporadically. I can't guarantee you what. As for the longer-term future, well, like I said, this has been fun. We, I think we both enjoy the format. We both enjoy doing it. We both enjoy each other. We both enjoy having guests on. Uh, we've mentioned this before. We've been approached in the past to be part of a new venture. I'm sure many of you heard. You remember that big rigmarole. In a couple of weeks, <laughs> apparently, they're going to announce their big plans. We're not going to be a part of that right away, but I have told them that after the first of the year, we'll reevaluate. So... You know, you and I have talked about this, Dan, but this is a mutual decision between the two of us. Well, yes, I can't force you to do the show, and I've also got, in fact, I probably need to change change diapers and my baby's diapers. All right, so you've had time, Dan. You've had time to collect them. I have. Final thoughts? No. All right, everybody, thanks for listening. We'll see you all down the road. Until then, for Dan Lodi, I'm Ken Tomash, and this has been Ford the Back. Well, there it is. A match that had everything, and one that certainly lived up to its promise. It's only a pity that somebody usually has to lose. But there's always another day, another great match to be drawn, lost, or won, when we'll join you again.